In our liturgical calendar, we are about to enter into a time which is called ordinary. And so we have gone through uh, Advent, we have gone through Christmas, we're in the midst of Epiphany, and then we kind of take a, a break from, you know, the, the holiday emphasis and, and also uh, the times when things are a little bit more formal. We just kind of go into this, uh, well, it's called ordinary time. It's a, it's a pretty good word. Many of us outside the liturgical calendar might feel as though we're sort of getting back into that ordinary swing of things, right? Maybe the Christmas lights have come down. Maybe uh, the decorations have come down. Um, We still see maybe a few of those houses with the lights on in the midst of a lot of uh, dark houses uh, as we might go through the streets. We're getting back into this sort of season of normal, whatever normal uh, seems to be anymore. But we're also in the season of something new, right? It's a new year. We have a new bishop, a new bishop who is probably preaching in our sanctuary right now. We have a new senior pastor. In several months, we will have another new senior pastor. So in the midst of kind of getting back to this normal time, there is also a whole lot of changes, uh, big changes that are going on in our lives collectively And maybe for some of us, even individually. And in the midst of that, we're coming back. We're coming back into this post-holiday kind of season of life. And many of us might feel sort of that after-holidays, post-holidays deflation. Maybe even exhaustion. Because in the midst of that, we're needing to restart. We're needing to re-engage. We're needing to pull back on that mower cord. And maybe it's not starting as easily as it used to. Some of us don't even know what I'm talking about in terms of pulling back a mower cord. But there's also things, other challenges, right? Um, we're getting re-exposed to all of these illnesses that we haven't had to deal with in the last several years. So it's not just that the COVID numbers are, are trickling back up again, but it's also the flu. It's also RSV. It's also cold. It's also stomach flu. It's also stuff that we're not even sure really what it is. So not only do we have to restart and re-engage, but now we're maybe doing it in the midst of illness. So even the energy that we didn't really have in the first place, we're having to use to maybe regroup and get better again. All of these things are happening, and sometimes all at once, and in the midst of that, we might just feel different. And we're struggling to try to keep up with it all. So in the, in the scripture passage that I'm going to read here fairly soon, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to his church in Philippi, and he's doing it in prison. At some point uh, in this letter, uh, Paul has been arrested for his ministry, for what he is doing. And in the midst of maybe the last place he ever spends alive, he is reaching out to one of his beloved communities. Paul is wanting to be with his people, with his folks in Philippi, his church. And yet he's writing this this letter of love and this letter of support and this letter of strengthening to a community that's also going through their own period of struggling. The joy that energized this community, this church, so much so in the past, uh, when Paul was with them, it's starting to wane. It's starting to fade. And part of the reason that it's fading is because he's no longer with them. 
So the church in Philippi, even though this is thousands of years ago, they are experiencing something that we likely experience ourselves from time to time uh, when things are uncertain. Our stress level rises. Things become tense. Things which may not have caught our attention or gotten on our nerves before, they certainly are getting on our nerves now. Paul even addresses two specific members by name in this letter, uh, two people who are arguing with each other about something that maybe in normal times wouldn't have been a big deal. But again, those little things become very, very big, very, very quickly. And maybe it's even spilled out to the rest of the church and the rest of the community. And that's in the midst of all of the other normal challenges they may be going through. Any of that sound familiar? Because in times of stress, in times of uncertainty, of frustration, one of the easiest things to do, and also even just in the midst of sadness, in the midst of grief, in the midst of challenge, it can be easy to give in to those feelings and react in a way which at the moment may feel very cathartic and and powerful, but ultimately will strain and push away relationships, which is one of the reasons that we are called as people of God Not to react, but to respond. Not to react, but to respond. Which is is what Paul is doing here with his people when he writes his letter. And this is part of what he chooses to write. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness, your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, for some of us, when we hear those words or we see those words, don't worry, especially in a church setting, our our instinct might be to say, yeah, right. You know, when Jesus says, don't don't let yourselves worry about anything, there may be some of us who say, you know, that's all well and good. But here's the reality. But part of what Paul is getting at and certainly part of what Jesus was getting at was when they say do not worry, it's not an overall statement. It might be easier to think about what they're saying is don't cover it up. Or don't let it cover up us don't try to sugarcoat it don't try to flash it away with distractions but also at the same time do not let it control us and that can be really easy to do in times when we are tired or worn down or exhausted or uncertain that we hear these voices in our head telling us that absolutely we should worry Absolutely, we should be afraid. Absolutely, we should uh, be downtrodden. And we should not pull ourselves up or out. Because maybe it can't get any better. And maybe even we deserve it. Those of us who care would probably agree that Spider-Man 3 was not a good movie. But it had a really good intention, which was that sometimes we let these feelings overpower us. 
And sometimes they overpower us so much, it is like, it is like a darkness, a shadow coming over us. And that's really the whole premise of Spider-Man 3, is that even our heroes can, can succumb at times to their own feelings of doubt and insecurity and even anger and vengeance. And so this is what happens to Spider-Man, is that he comes in contact with this substance which is alive and feeds off of negative emotions. And at first he thinks it's, it's um, a great gift. It makes him stronger. It makes him more powerful. It, it gives him the ability to do things he would not normally do to accomplish what he thinks is important. But throughout the story, he starts to see that it's harming people close to him. And he's making decisions which is further ca- causing harm and making him the exact opposite of who he's supposed to be. Does that sound familiar? And here's how the bishop puts it in his sermon. That we may think that life is never going to get any better than it is right now and that that's not even really a great place to be. You know, he said, I will never get any nicer. I will never get any stronger. I will never get any more compassionate. I will never get any more recognized than I am right now. This is good as it's going to ever get and I cannot get where God wants me to go. That's venom. And those of you who know, know what I'm talking about. Because ultimately what happens is that the substance that overpowers Peter Parker overtakes someone else who is even less equipped to deal with this shadow. And he ends up becoming a monster, a monster that actually embraces all of those feelings and thinks in order for me to be who I truly need to be, I need to be dependent on this other thing. And so he gives in to self-doubt and he gives in to worry and he gives in to anger and frustration. And he becomes a monster in the midst of this, a monster that we call venom. All of us have a venom in our thoughts, in our spirits, in our decisions. And what Paul is talking about when he says, do not worry, when Jesus says, do not worry, what they are saying is we do not need to let these thoughts and these feelings control us. Absolutely, we should acknowledge them. This is not about pretending that they don't exist. It is absolutely about acknowledging that they exist and then saying, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to move forward? Can someone help me? We don't have to do this by ourselves. We do not need to let these feelings control us. We can acknowledge the pain, but we do not have to empower the pain. So our question might be, so then what do we do? What is it that we are supposed to empower? Or maybe even how can we be empowered in the midst of these thoughts? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is good, Paul writes. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise. Let us think about these things. Let us let these things empower us to not be a shadow but to be a light.
Keep on doing the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, in Christ, in God, and the God of peace will be with you. As I said, this is the passage that's being shared right now by our new bishop, Tom Berlin. Do you know how amazing it is to have a bishop preach at our church? This is the very first church in the Florida conference he has preached. To have people uh, such as those who are part of this church welcome him in the way that he has been welcomed. To have the leaders that we have. We had a leadership retreat just yesterday morning. Over 100 people showed up. And that's not even the total number of leaders we have in this congregation. There are many, many more. To have the resources that we do to be able to make the difference. One of the things that Bishop Berlin said is in his short time in the conference already, he's already heard two amazing stories from people who said, this church has changed my life. You are in the business of changing people's lives. And I know sometimes that's hard to remember and it's hard to recognize, especially in those moments when we do not feel as strong as we really are. But you continue to change lives, lives that you may not even realize that you're changing. We've just started a new confirmation class. We've just started a new lay leadership academy. And in the midst of that, we are still doing great work in our mission fields, in our projects. We are starting new discussion groups. Uh, we are continuing to strengthen our relationship with Philip O'Brien Elementary School. We are still gathering food. And so we are in the business of the both and. We are starting new things while we are also continuing great ministry. And it's all being fueled and resourced because of you, because of your commitment, because of your love. And not just for this church, but simply and powerfully for other people. Lives are being changed because of you. And, and we know that you may not see all of it, but your pastors see it. Your pastors see what it is that you are doing to change people's lives, to let them know that they are not alone, that that shadow does not have to control them, that they will find sanctuary here. And we talked about this at our leadership retreat. We've actually been talking with it through our staff. I've been hearing it from many of our leaders where are we going for 2023 and how can we sort of embody whatever it is that 2023 is leading us into? And how might we sort of solidify it down, maybe even to just a word? And in the beginning, those words were words like, you know, hope and, and love and trust, which are good. But sometimes it's hard to really wrap our minds around what do we do with that? And maybe it's not a noun that we need to be looking for. Maybe it's a verb. And the verb that has been shared with me over and over again, the verb that I've been hearing, it's actually a verb that even uh, Bishop Berlin used this morning without even realizing it was encourage. We are seeing opportunities. We are continuing opportunities to encourage each other. And again, not just to have a great 2023, but in those moments when those shadowy thoughts are just about to overtake us and control us. We are called to encourage each other. Followers of Jesus Christ are joined to assist one another in the
the gospel story, and that is to encourage each other to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we can encourage each other by focusing on those things of goodness and nobility and, and being honorable and being compassionate and merciful so that we are reminded of who we truly are. Just this last week, I officiated a graveside service when the, where the family wanted this passage of Philippians read. And again, they had no idea that we were working on uh, preaching on this passage. But the family said this is what the nurse read to their loved one over and over again as they were nearing the end of life. And they continued to tell stories about their loved one. And even in the midst of their pain, even in the midst of their grief, they laughed with each other as they remembered how great this person was and how they had impacted their lives. And what I said to them is what you all say to each other and to those who are in need. Think about those things. Hold on to them. Live them. Share them. Because in the midst of those challenging, dark times, we encourage each other by reminding each other who we truly are. So let us encourage each other. Let us, as Paul writes, keep on doing the things that you have learned. Keep being who you are. Keep doing the things that you are doing as we also learn what those new opportunities are Keep doing the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in Jesus and the God of peace will be with us. One of the reasons we practice an open table that everyone is invited is to share the message that you do not need to cover up what is happening in your life to be able to receive these elements nor do you need to let those things overpower and control you. Because as you come to the table, you are accepted for who you are, for where you are in life, and that these elements will do the same thing that they do for all of us, which is in aid in that transformation and restoration. The love of Jesus Christ says, you are who you are. And if we need to move forward, we will do so together. This is what Paul was trying to remind his people, even in the very potential midst of the end of his life, anything else he could have done, he chose to say that message to his people. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will always, always be with you. And so as we experience an open table, may we also be that open table to a world to say your pain does not need to define you. We will go through it together. That is how we can encourage each other and go forward in this new year together. And so may we go in the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Amen.